You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I like these Sundays where all I have to do is preach. All I get to do is preach. That's fun for me. And uh, I'm excited this morning. We've got, um, this is just going to be one of those services. You can feel it. You can just already feel it. And so I'm just glad to see you this morning. Really glad to see you this morning. Um, You're going to need a Bible, something to write on, something to write with. The best way to engage the message is with a Bible and some way to take notes. And if you don't have a Bible with you, if you want to raise your hand, Crystal will be glad to bring you a Bible. Just raise your hand high and she'll bring you one. Um, We're going to start in Psalm 91. But before we get there, um, I want to tell you about an old man on a moped. Um, not none of you, okay, so in case you're wondering. Um, he's about 90 years old, old man on a moped, and he pulls up at a light right next to an extremely expensive car, and he's just impressed by it. This is a Ferrari GTO. And um, so he looks over there, and, he, and he, sees, he sees the guy riding the car, and he goes, that's a nice car you got there. Doctor driving the car says, yeah, this is a Ferrari GTO. Uh, sir, and he says, man, that's, he, said, most, he, said, he says, it's, it's half a million dollars worth of machinery that you're sitting next to. So the old guy says, man, what makes it so expensive? And, and the guy looks back over to him and says, this, this is all engine. This car tops out at 220 miles per hour. This is a, a man's machine right here. The old guy says, man, that's a, that's a lot of horsepower. And, and since the light was still, it was a long light, um, and the guy was interested, he just leaned over on his moped and stuck his head in the, in the window of the car so he could see inside the car. And he's, he's got his head in there, and he's looking around. He said, that's a nice car. It's a really nice car, but I'm, you know what? I'm going to stick with my moped. And, and right then, right then, the guy uh, I mean, the light turned green, and, and so the doctor who's driving the Ferrari, he thought, I'm just going to show the old man what he's missing. So he gunned it. He went, he, he, he was, in 30 seconds, he was doing 150 miles per hour. And he looks in his rearview mirror, he's kind of smiling, proud of himself, and he sees there's just a dot back there, you know, just a dot of a human. But he's noticing this dot is gaining on him, and he can't understand it. And he's, he's like, he's watching, and I mean, he begins to go like, Amazed, all of a sudden, whoosh, the, the old guy on the, on the uh, moped has passed him, and he can't believe it, so he speeds up. He's going now 180 miles per hour, and he's gaining on the guy, but the guy's, you know, beginning to pull back a little bit, but, so he, so he goes up to 200 miles an hour, and the guy's back behind him again, but he sees he's still gaining on him, so he finally puts his pedal to the floor, he's topping out 220 miles an hour, and he still sees the guy in his rearview mirror on the bowpad gaining on him. Eventually, I mean, like, not eventually, but in a minute, the, the, the moped slams into the back of this Ferrari, slams into the back of it, and he, and, and, and he crushes the back of the Ferrari, 
Car stops, the doctor gets out, runs around miraculously, the old guy is still alive, and, and he says, and he leans down, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm a doctor, what do you want me to do? And the old guy says, your side view. And the man's like, what, what? What are you saying? Your side view. It's like, what are you saying to me? Unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror. <laughs> Thank you, Marina. Thank you. Mostly, <laughs> Steve said that the people with actually wearing suspenders this morning will really get that joke, because the threat is real, according to Steve. <laughs> Mostly, I'm just telling you that joke because it's funny. But, but, doesn't it remind you a little of this crazy season that we have been in for what seems like forever? Jesus, please unhook us from this crazy season. In fact, that's the prayer of this whole message. Lord, please unhook us from the crazy. Amen? Amen. You can write that down at the top of your page where you're taking notes. Lord, please unhook us from the crazy. Unhook us from the chronic disappointment, the feeling of tired, the crisis, the conflicts, the numbers, the, 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 the constantly fluctuating numbers, the, the questions. Jesus, please unhook us from the crazy which is today's prayer. We've been talking about prayer now for a couple of three weeks. Mark started this off, started this conversation two weeks ago with a great message about what it's been like for him to learn how to pray when prayer feels to him more like a second language than a first language. And he reminded us that most of what we're shown in prayer is, is corporate prayer. You know, when, when most of what we're modeled when we're growing up in church is the pastor standing up front saying a prayer that he's thought about for a long time, and so the words sound bigger than what we know how to use, and it all feels different and foreign to us. And, and we know this, that corporate prayer is not the same as what happens in private, right? So no wonder we're both intimidated and underwhelmed by the practice of prayer. How do we unhook us ourselves from the models we've been shown in, in a lot of Christian settings so we can get beyond the surface stuff to the kind of prayer that transcends, that connects us with kingdom realities and kingdom power. Last week we talked about prophetic prayer, how to, how to begin our prayers where Jesus begins with God's character and God's kingdom. We talked about how to pray the things of heaven down to earth, how to listen for the heart of God. And we learned an important question in prophetic prayer, what can be? Not what has been, not what is, but what can be. That's the heart, the question that prophetic prayer is going after. What, what can be? Next week, we're gonna talk about healing prayer, and as Heather said, we'll dedicate some of our time in that service to, to healing, to practicing it, so come ready to pray and be prayed for. Today, I wanna talk about the kind of prayer that takes on the crazy. C.S. Lewis says this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And if that's true, then the prayer that transcends, that draws the kingdom down, must acknowledge the battle we're in. 
If every square inch is claimed by God with resistance by the enemy, our work is cut out for us. And so we need to learn how to do battle with the enemy of God in the place of prayer. And for, uh, and for that project, David is our guy. So I wanna look with you at some of David's raw and honest prayers against the darkness. David was a master at praying against things like temptation and sin and death and injustice and suffering and, and praying against the crazy. David was a little crazy himself, but he knew how to pray against the crazy. And he's, um, so let's start with probably what's one of the most famous battle prayers in the Bible, certainly the most famous of the Psalms, Psalm 91. Turn with me to Psalm 91 and I'm gonna skip around a little bit and I'm, I'm reading from a version called the New Living Translation today because um, I wanna, um, just the way it sounds to me, sounds more like the way we talk. So um, follow along as best you can in your version. And I'm gonna start Psalm 91 with verse five. And this is David really kind of channeling the Spirit of God, speaking to the one who is praying. And God says through the prophet, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness. That's our prayer, right? Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And in verse 14, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. That is a picture of someone who's facing a storm and claiming the power of God over it. The Hebrew word for enemy in this psalm is tsarar. It's not the typical word for enemy. It, it means the person who has you confined or surrounded or trapped. It literally means to cramp. It's the temptation that reaches out for you when you're stressed out. You know, that makes you feel like you don't, that, that it lures you into the sense that you're, running, you're out of options like your suspenders are hooked on someone else's agenda and it's dragging you along and you are the helpless victim. And in a very real way, I think that's sort of true of all of us. If you remember what C.S. Lewis says, every square inch is being claimed by God and counterclaimed by the enemy of God, which means that the resistance we feel all the time, even in the best of circumstances, the resistance we feel is real. And in the battle for control, who I hook my suspenders to is the one who wins my soul and determines my peace and my pace and influences my response to the crazy. 
David teaches me in Psalm 91 how to stand and how to pray through the crazy to victory and confidence in God's power and provision. All the Psalms, there, 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 there's 15, out of, there's 150 Psalms. Out of those, there's some people say 10, some people say more. So probably between 10 and 15 Psalms, about 10%. That, that are called, they're, they're a kind of psalm um, that does battle with the enemy. That they have a name, they're called the imprecatory psalms. Say that together, imprecatory, imprecatory. So there's 10 or 15 of these kinds of psalms out of 150, which, so David really gives us, he gives us permission um, to, to, to dedicate some of our time to going after the enemy of our soul. We don't want to over-focus on the enemy or give him power, more power than he deserves or more of our attention than he deserves. But some of our prayers ought to be about going against the enemy of our soul. So to imprecate means to curse. This is David praying boldly against enemies, cursing them, and he, and he gives us permission to pray boldly against our enemies. And so I, I curse the enemy who is deliberately trying to discourage us. I, I curse the enemy who is working to keep my spiritual life deadlocked. Now, I don't have permission to go around squashing everybody who disagrees with me, but I do have biblical permission to curse the enemy of my soul. Psalm 35. Oh Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. He's talking to God here. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Lift up your spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Let me hear you say, I will give you victory. Bring shame and disgrace on those who are trying to kill me. Turn them back and humiliate those who want to harm me. Blow them away like chaff in the wind, a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they drug for me. They dug for me. And then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. With every bone in my body, I will praise him. Lord, who can compare to you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who robbed them? Skip down to verse 17. He's right back in it. How long, O oh Lord? Will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. And then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. In other words, sick them, Jesus. 
Folks, I think we've gotten the wrong idea about what it means to pray effectively. It isn't about getting all the words right, you know, getting all the these and thous in the right place. It's about believing in the power of God to save us from the enemy. The demons who wanna hook us to a fatal agenda. Listen, God intends to destroy our enemies. You should write that down. God intends to destroy our enemies. Maybe we're being too nice when it comes to doing battle with temptation and the forces of sin and death or too passive. Maybe, you know what we need? Maybe we need less whining, more battle cry. There's a scene in Zephaniah, that the, this is an, one of those little Old Testament books toward the end of, of the Old Testament. There's a scene in Zephaniah when the prophet talks about the Lord, Lord's anger and he says, it will be a day of battle cry and shofar. It's like he's trying to shake somebody awake. Wail, he says, your wealth is about to be wiped out. Your house is about to be demolished. You need to cry out with shofar and battle cry against your enemy. I have a sense we need to learn that kind of prayer. The kind that sounds like battle cry and shofar. The kind of prayer that is unwilling for the enemy to have the last word, that is no longer content to sit passively and let discouragement wash over us, that is righteously irritated by the sins and omissions and anguishes of this world and our world. The word shofar literally means to cut into. In the Old Testament story of God especially, the the shofar was an important instrument, so much more than just a horn. The sound of the shofar is the sound of cutting through the crazy and getting at the heart of what hurts. When the people of Israel went out against their enemy, this is the sound that went out before them. It was the sound of people taking firm, confident hold of the very heart of their situation. This was their battle cry. Jesus, sick of Jesus. When is the last time your prayers sounded like that? Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, unhook us from the crazy. I remember last year, it was just about this time of year, I was preaching at a church in North Georgia, and I preached on Joel's call to lament. You remember last fall we did these sermons on the minor prophets and I, I took that sermon there and I was preaching on this call to lament and at the end of the service I invited people to, to enter into a time of lament and they came to the altar to lament but this was a mostly quiet crowd except this one woman. In, in, in a room full of people she began to cry out 
and, and nobody intervened. It was beautiful, really. Nobody tried to comfort her. Everybody knew this woman just needed to have her moment with the Lord. They just let her cry out. She had the hands, her hands on the shoulders of her husband who was kneeling there at the altar. And she began to cry out, God, it has been so hard. This has all been so hard. Losing our house to a fire was so hard. Going through cancer was hard. And now Alzheimer's has stolen my husband's mind and our life, and I want it back. This has all been too hard, Lord. I want my husband back. This disease does not get his mind. It does not get our life. At the end of that night, her husband was not back. But somehow that time of prayer unloosed something in her. It was, it was something that she needed that she didn't have before. She told me, I didn't know I could pray like that. That, friends, is a battle cry, shofar sound, imprecatory prayer. This is not complaint or whining. This was battle cry. Now, side note. Don't automatically assume that every hurt, habit, or hang-up in your life is due to the enemy of your soul. My inability to get any place on time is not the work of the enemy. That's just my own poor discipline. Likewise, the number of tickets I've had for driving too fast, not the enemy. Too much dessert, not the enemy. Not everything is the fault of Satan. Don't let that excuse rob you of personal responsibility. Give the enemy his due, but don't give him more power than he deserves. I don't believe there is a demon underneath every bad day or bad mood, but I do believe that when we're doing good work, there will be resistance. The enemy of our soul will want us to forget how God has delivered us in the past, but our job is always to remember. And that's what David's prayers teach us. They teach us it's okay to be bold. We pray boldly, trusting God to do his work on our behalf. We do it to stir up within ourselves the sense of right and wrong we need so we can get properly angry about sin and death. And you should get properly angry about sin and death. We do it to counteract the fear and discouragement that wants to settle in. We do it as an act of spiritual resistance. We ought to be angry about injustice and suffering, about disease and deception, and we ought to cry out against cancers and hurricanes and tornadoes. We ought to cry out in prayer against mental illness and against the distrust that has been, that has been bred into us and that is bubbling up in hard times. We ought, to, we ought to cry out against all the things that have driven wedges into our community Communities. I want you to listen to Psalm 7. He says, this is starting in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. 
Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. End the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. And I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I guess what I want you to hear this morning is that there are things worth fighting for. The souls of people we love are worth fighting for. Our families are worth fighting for. The relationships we treasure are worth fighting for. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth fighting for. The things that matter to God are worth fighting for. David doesn't pray against piddly offenses that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. We're not asking God to smoke the guy who just took our park in place or, or, or to make life miserable for the person who just broke up with me. No, but that's not it because listen, and this is huge, this is huge. We're not learning to pray against our enemies. We are learning to pray against God's enemies. When David prayed to make widows out of people, he wasn't praying just against the people he didn't like. He was praying against evil. He was praying against behaviors and temptations and spiritual forces and sins and states of being that were absolutely opposed to the kingdom of God. And he prayed for God to take vengeance. He trusted God with his most real feelings. And then he left vengeance in God's hands. So parents, I believe it's time we learn to stand in the gap in prayer for our children. I believe it's time for us to stand in the gap for our marriages and to do battle for them in prayer. I believe it is time to stand in the gap for those we love who struggle with addiction, those we love who struggle with faith, those we love who struggle with mental illness or physical illness. It is time to do battle for them, not begging God to give us what we want, but asking him to go against the powers and principality, the, loser, uh, the, the rulers of the dark world who are bound and determined to hook us into their evil agenda and drag us down some road we don't want to go down so he can steal our joy. And church, I believe it's time for us to stand in the gap for this community and the, the larger community to cry out to God on behalf of our leaders and, and, and the health of the body of Christ to cry out to God and ask God to fight for us and for those we love and against the things we've gotten ourselves hooked to that are jerking us around. We need to ask God to cut loose the suspenders that have left the enemy strapped to our plans.
Lord, please, please, Lord, unhook us from the crazy. Let me say it again. We're not praying against our enemies. We're praying against God's enemies. And we know how the story ends. The enemy doesn't win. He can destroy in the short term, but he can't in the long term. Your eternal security is kept safe by grace through faith in Jesus, the one who wins. So lately I've been hearing myself saying this more and more. This isn't fun, you know? That this time, this isn't fun. You know, the season we're in, it's just not fun. And I think with very few exceptions, all of humanity is there. You know, these are not our salad days. These are days most of us are just trying to get through. So one day recently, I was talking to somebody about my feelings these days, about the trudge and discouragement. And I used the word desolation to describe how it feels sometimes. Desolation. That word, even as I said it, even as I expressed it, it came as a sort of revelation to me. Desolation. I know that word doesn't sound like much of a gift, but that day that word was a gift to me. Because I've, I've been a little worried. that what, am, I, am I burning out? You know? And this isn't something you need to worry about uh, for me and me, because it isn't just me feeling this. We're all a little tired and on edge. And that word, desolation, that just was a gift because I realized, wait a minute, that's really more true from, of me. That's, that's more true of me. I'm not, I'm not burning out. I'm not depressed. Desolation and its counterpart, consolation, those are words given to us by the Desert Fathers, these old monastics who really get what it means to walk in faith in good times and in hard times. Desolation and consolation. And so Ignatius uh, taught that um, desolation is not something you run from. It's something you actively resist. I mean, think about like, you know, the French resistance. That's not running. That's, that's an active resistance, like military resistance. You, you refuse to let it get the best of you. In other words, the right response to desolation is a battle cry. A shofar blow. So I wonder what's got you, what's weighing heavy on you these days. And I know that comes to you in different ways depending on who you are. Some of you don't have to get a lot of children out the door every morning. Some of you aren't in workplace situations where you're constantly having to adjust because of pandemic realities or, or even military realities. Not everybody in this room feels the desolation in the same way. But even if you're not having to figure out childcare because your kid has been exposed and you've got to now figure out work and all that other stuff, even if you're not one of those, even if you're not in a work situation that's heavy on top of all the other heavy, you got something. You got something. Something in your life that's weighing on you kind of gut-level pain, a holy, maybe an unholy discontent. And so right now, this is the invitation 
to pray as an act of resistance. I want to ask you, if you would, just stand where you are. You're going to stand. And, and then and, uh, Chris is going to be over here. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you, if you come and stand over here. If you want someone to pray with you over something that's bubbled up during this message, this is your opportunity to let someone pray with you. Chris or, or, or Mike will be glad to pray with you. But I also want to invite you, if you want, to just spread out a little bit. Some of you need to come down here and kneel. Some of you need to just get to a place or go to the cross or get to a place where you can cry out, where you can pray believing that you are the one with the power of God on your side even when you don't feel the power of God. So, so that you can pray knowing that you are blessed and loved even if you don't feel blessed and loved. So you come, you kneel, or you step to the back where the cross is or do whatever feels right to you. And we're just gonna begin to cry out right now. All of us, all of us, just cry out right now. And when I sense that we finish crying out, I will call us back together. Just begin to cry out to the Lord over that thing that has your suspicion hooked to the crazy. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.